Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subtruck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subtruck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Revolution Recap would also like to thank Six Point Builders for their support. Six Point Builders are builders of fine custom homes in the Boston metropolitan area. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution's 2023 season came to an end with a 1-0 home loss to the Philadelphia Union on Wednesday night, highlighted by the Revs' weakness all season long, a late goal, uh, but also highlighted by a very game-turning red card from Mark Anthony Kay late in the first half. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today from Last Word on Soccer, it is Jamie Rook. Jamie, how are you doing this fine, fine morning here over in the States? Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, I'm all good. Thank you. I'm looking forward to talking about the Revs, although, as you say, it's not the most positive podcast and the mood's not necessarily positive at the moment. But, yeah, it's good to get good to get to talk about it either way. Before we get into the incredibly depressing end to the 2023 Rev season, I do want to tell you about our friends at Bet Online. The last of the pro sports leagues is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. Bet Online remains your top spot for all of your live betting action and contests NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL, and of course, Major League Soccer playoffs are all in full swing. Bet Online is your number one source for your wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All of the hoops betting action, along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time. So head to Bet Online today and remember to use the, our promo code BLEAVE. B-L-E-A-V for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Jamie, let's get to our key takeaways. Our key takeaways are brought to us by The Rebellion. Go check out anyrebellion.org to learn more about their organization and how you can get involved for 2024. Looking ahead to next season, it's never too early uh, to get involved for 2024. So go check out anyrebellion.org if you are interested. Uh, Jamie, what is your key takeaway from last night's loss? Um, I'd I'd like to think uh, I'm quite positive. So I'd say I've gone for a more positive spin and I was quite impressed by watching um, Thomas Chunkalai on the wing. I thought he was, um, he had a lot of purpose even when, um, maybe there wasn't enough options for him going forward and he had to cut back in. I think he does look like an exciting player. And I think particularly when you consider the majority of this season has been without Dylan Barrero in action and how bright he looked at times, when you consider that John Clyde, Barrero, Heal, when those players are going to be linking up next season, obviously we're, we're unsure on where Gustavo Bowe's future lies. But I think, yeah, watching John Clyde last night, he did look... He did look solid. Obviously, it was him that came back and gave away the free kick, which led to the Union's goal. But in general, I thought when it came to attacking play, he did look bright. And um, yeah, it was interesting to see how he can transition forward because I thought sometimes this season the, there's almost a divide between the midfield and the attack. Matt Polster's maybe got too much on his shoulders. He's expected to defend and bring the ball forward. So I thought he was, Chonkalai was someone exciting to see again bringing in that gap between the midfield and the attack and, yeah, being able to push forward, although obviously it was a a night without any revs goals. Yeah, and I agree. And I'm looking forward, if they 
use the purchase option on Huckleberry, which I expect them to. I'm looking forward to seeing how that kind of attacking three and a four two three one of Barrero, Shankalai, and Carlos Heel do. Um, I think Carlos Heel, when the when the Revs are struggling, Carlos Heel really doesn't have a lot of people to help get the ball across from midfield into the attack, like you said. Uh, and I think Shankalai and also Dylan Barrero are also very good at that. So that should also make Carlos Heel a more effective player too and give him a little bit more space uh, to operate as opposed to when teams kind of crowd him kind of hack him down uh, I, I think it gives the revs a better second option uh, second and third option uh, so it's very exciting that there is a attacking core in Shankalai, Dylan Brero and Carlos Hill that we have not seen yet uh, that gives us some sort of hope for the 2024 season um, even though <laughs> this season uh, there, there's really not a whole lot of positives uh, we are left with uh, my key takeaway here I, I, I don't have a whole ton so I'm and we're going to talk about this a little bit this isn't really so much on the game because I think the game is pretty simple. I think it was a, a pretty good game. It was shaping up to be a pretty good game. The red card happened. The Revs still had some fight in them. They were down a man. It didn't look like they were completely played off the field, so I think you can give them a little bit of credit, but Philadelphia is too good of a team to go a man down on, uh, and there's too many flaws on this Revs team uh, to go down a man on. So uh, the game, I feel, is pretty simple, um, and so I, I my kind of... Um, key takeaway here is that I think we've seen the last of Gustavo Bo in a revolution uniform and I think that he's a player that I don't want to say we've taken for granted but um, you know he's been here four and a half years um, he's been one of the players that moved the revolution into the next generation everyone talks about Bruce Arena who obviously deserves a lot of credit Gustavo Bo also kind of came in around the same time and throughout his entire tenure the team has had pretty solid amount of success he, he made the playoffs for his five seasons here um obviously the supporter shield in 2021 uh over 50 goals across all competitions uh in a revolution jersey um I, I don't have exactly where he ends up in the uh all-time revolution records but i believe he's around top five uh and so it, it's sad to see him kind of leave this way without a goal uh it's sad to see him being subbed off late in the game which we'll get to later that was mind-blowing that i, I don't know why on earth that was done, but I'll save that for later. Um, it, it's, I think everyone is very sad that the season is ending this way, um, and, and the past few months have been insanely miserable, but I think it's important to kind of take a moment uh, and just reflect on Gustavo Bo's career uh, and, and you know how impactful a player he was for the New England Revolution, uh, and it really does feel like the end of an era uh, if Gustavo Bo ends up leaving, which I am under the impression he is. Yeah, I think I, I definitely can't disagree with that. I think um, you used the word underrated there, and I'd have to agree because from from my time covering the Revs, I think especially this year, there's been injuries, there's been issues that have kept him out of the game, and he's almost, this year, he hasn't felt like the out-and-out star striker when you compare him to Frioni and Wood and whoever else. But when you look across his whole tenure here, he has been such a vital player going forward. He scored some big goals, important goals, I mean, even if you think about it, in the last month he scored what th twice against Philly on um, decision day in the win and then scored, although it was a consolation goal, scored in the, the first playoff game against him. So he does come up with some important goals and he has been, yeah, such a constant force driving forward. It's been interesting to see his relationship with Carlos Hill, how that's developed. Obviously, the fact they're both um, like Spanish-speaking players or Portuguese-speaking players, it, it really does help when they can communicate in that way. They have such synergy at times when they are both at their best. Obviously, in the in the Shield-winning season, they were such a formidable duo, I felt. And, um, yeah, in general, he has been such a good servant and 
it's not really ideal from his point of view or from our point of view that, that this will be how he bows out and it may leave a sour taste in that it has been not his best year because of all the injuries and various issues. But then, yeah, as you say, you see him competing with the likes of uh, Taylor Twelman, Diego Fagundes, Teal Bunbury at the very top of the scoring charts in the club's history. And yeah, it just should serve as a reminder of how good a servant he was and how, yeah, how, how good a player and how lucky the Revs were to be able to watch him for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I think he's leaving on a bit of a, I'll say, sour note, obviously, with the way the season ends, but also that we haven't seen him at 100% health in the past two seasons. He isn't the player that he was in 2019 and 2020 when, you know, every time he touched the ball, uh, he was insanely dangerous. I mean, some of his goals from 2021 were absolute rockets with low chances of going going in, um, and, and, you know, he, he was a threat from everywhere, and he's just not that type of player anymore. So I think this is a good drop-off point. I think for both sides um, that he can probably get more money elsewhere if he's not getting a designated player contract here and the refs probably don't want to offer him a designated player contract. He probably is going to go back to South America or Mexico and and somewhere where I don't think the roster rules are going to restrict his salary. Um, So I I think there's probably a mutual understanding of the situation here, Um, but it doesn't mean it's less sad. Uh, And so I I think it's just worth kind of tipping the cap to Gustavo Bo. Um, And as I say, if this is the end of his career, um, I, I think it's just a good... Tip of the cap. Thank you, Gustavo, for a, a great four and a half years in a New England Revolution kit. So um, enough positivity, Jamie. We got to get into the negativity and we have a lot of listener questions. Uh, are, you, are you ready to hop into uh, the absolute depressing listener mailbag, which honestly, I, I can't blame them for being too uh, too, too down today. I, I got to say, I, I think we're, we're going to go right into the cynicism. And uh, I, I think that's the last bit of positivity we're going to have the show today. Are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm ready. As you say, it's not the most positive mood, but it's got to be done. I, I got to say, it's, um, it's not not a lot of reason to be positive right here. After the past couple of months, the way they, they lost to a, to a Philadelphia team that, um, you know, you, you talked a lot of game. Uh, you talked a lot of game and you, you couldn't score at home. So it's not great. But uh, Bill says the refs played a great second half. You couldn't tell they were man down. Agree with that. Uh, Gazdag is great at drawing fouls. What can you do when your opponents are better at cheating? Um, and so I, I believe this is going to be a comment about the red card. Uh, before we get any further, what is your take on the red card? Because some people believe Gazdag pulled K into him. Uh, a lot of people think K intentionally stepped on him. A lot of people feel it was an accident. Uh, what was your thought on the red card? Do you believe it was a red card? And do you believe it was intentional for Mark Anthony K? As you say, it's, it's been such a polarizing issue in the past 12 or 24 hours to discuss the red card that's been... It's been maybe not 50-50, but some people are on either side. And I'd say, having watched it a number of times, I'm not necessarily going to say it's intentional, but I'd say I understand why it's a red card. And I think it was easily avoidable. Whether um, Gazdag has played for it and lured Mark Anthony K in, I still think it's naive from K. And so I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying it's a stamp, but I think the red card is probably the correct decision. And um, no, it was just. A, a big turning point in the game that the Revs really didn't need and it, it definitely changed the, the game even if we did play well with 10 men it was a, a big turning point and yeah I'd say personally I, I would lean towards red card mm-hmm. I, I agree with everything you said there I, I don't know if the intent is there and you know I've watched this a million times on slow motion I, I thought in live time I didn't even see it in live time so I don't blame the referee for missing it when you slow it down it looks bad uh, when you slow it down you know, I, I know some people say he's pulling his foot into him. Um, 
maybe Gazdag is trying to get tangled up with Mark Anthony K there, but there is not a whole lot of reason for K to go to that ball. Um, and the other thing, too, is that when you are talking, going into this game about being physical and kind of sticking up for Carlos Hill and bringing the game to him, the referee is going to be aware of those comments, and you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt when there is a potential harming situation when there is a potential violent conduct situation um, so intent from what i understand and i'm not a rules expert i've seen a lot of people debate this but it's not really intent that's the deciding factor um you know if you have a if you go high you know high studs on a challenge um and you know you connect with someone you know higher up on the leg you know you're not intentionally going for them there but it's still a red card um in this case I think it's a red card. I, I think it's and, and when you go to VAR, you can't make it a yellow. You can only review red cards at VAR. So once it was going to VAR, it was kind of clear that this was going to be reviewed as a red card and it was probably going to be overturned. Just the fact that they go to VAR um, is really not a good sign. So I think it was a red card. I know a lot of refs fans disagree with that. I know a lot of you know fans like Bill uh, feel like Gazdag pulled one over on, on the revolution here. Uh, but if you watch it in slow motion. It's hard for me to think that Mark Anthony K is tripping. He doesn't seem to lose his balance anywhere. He doesn't seem to make an effort to jump over him. It, it looks like he's just stepping and um, Gazdag is there. And maybe they make contact. Maybe he's trying to jump over him. And Gazdag, you know, Gazdag, while he's rolling, you know, his arm connects with the leg. And uh, we can break down any way we want. But K didn't have to go over him. It was a bad situation to put himself in. And you're not getting the benefit of the doubt when, you know, both teams are, you know, talking with each other and there's drama off the field and you're talking about how you're going to bring the game to him and you're going to be physical and you're going to show him who's boss. You're just not getting that benefit of the doubt from a referee um, when you end up stepping on someone's chest. So anytime you step on someone's chest, it, you, you got to really there's got to be a lot of evidence to show you're innocent there. And I, I don't think there was enough there. And from every neutral perspective I saw on Twitter and on social media, everyone thought that was a red. Um, I've not seen a lot of non-Revs fans argue that Gazdag pulled him down. Maybe I'm not seeing him, but from what I saw from neutral people, it was a pretty straight and obvious red. So I, I'm going to disagree with a lot of these comments uh, that are that are coming up about uh, the referee screwing us because I, I thought Mark Anthony K getting a red was more or less fair. Yeah, definitely. I would agree that every or 90% of the, the neutral opinions that I saw were saying it is a red and yeah as you say whether there's intent or not why from what i was seeing like when i first saw it, i was like why do you need to try and step over him like that in the first place like it could have been i get here at the moment whatever but it could have been so easily avoided and um yeah i do think um it's not been the most seamless transition for k coming into this revs team replacing the latif blessing and this is quite a unfortunate way for him and the team to end the season um because yeah it's been he hasn't necessarily excelled he hasn't been brilliant in the majority of games he's been fairly average I guess you'd say so yeah it's definitely not ideal from his personal point of view to end his season with a red card like this Mark Anthony Kay has certainly not worked out for the revolution he's been one of the bigger disappointments I feel uh, in the uh, second half of the season and 
a lot of people said he, he didn't do very well at Toronto, and that seems to have carried over. So hopefully he gets a bit of a fresh start next year if he's still um, with the Rebs. Um, we did get uh, one more comment here from uh, Og. He said, Feral Masterclass. Thought the Rev card was soft, uh, but I'm biased. So uh, I, I think there's a lot of bias going into the Red card. If Carlos Hill was stepped on by a Philadelphia Union player, you don't care about the context. You, well, you want that to be a red. So I, I, I'm going to disagree with, I think, a lot of Revs fans in that. Uh, I think that's a red. Um, Mike Kennedy says, if Mark Anthony K gets sent off for that, Lowe should have been sent off for the elbow uh, to the head on Bo. Violent conduct is violent conduct. I actually thought this was a very interesting point um, by Mike. Uh, he's talking about the elbow in the first half, uh, which certainly I think there's a good point. I know that the referee gave a yellow for this. Um, I'll also say there was a play later in the second half where there's a long ball over the top to Bo. It looks like Bo is going to get by um, Lowe, and Lowe essentially drags him down. He, he gets his hands all over him, slows him down. And, you know, considering that might be a fast break opportunity, I thought a yellow, a second yellow might be deserved there. So I, I think there's two kind of questionable fouls here by Lowe. Uh, but ultimately, if we're talking about the um, the elbow to the head. Uh, I, I, I was not in the moment upset about the yellow. Uh, and I, I'm glad the referee pulled out the cards in this one because I thought this game could have easily gotten out of hand considering the history between these two teams. Uh, but I, I was fine with this being a yellow. Jimmy, uh, what was your thought about the first half foul on low? I, I, I am in agreement with you as well. I think um, obviously when you compare it to the red card, it's easy to get caught up in, particularly if you are from a Revs persuasion or a union persuasion, you're going to want to have some balance and you're going to want to see maybe two players sent off there, not just one. But I do agree, I think, on the balance of play, I thought I was quite content with that being yellow. When you then bring into play the instant you mentioned in the second half, I was thinking, come the end of the game, maybe he was lucky to still be on the pitch. I do think, yeah, when you consider the moment Bo was in and the how you how you say he was he was driving past the player, yeah, I wouldn't have wouldn't have definitely wouldn't have been able to argue if he saw a second yellow there. But looking at, solely at the first instant, I think the ref did handle that one well. A yellow card was the the apt punishment. Uh, Chris has a question here. The subs were mind-blowing. No question, just a comment, uh, but Christ. Uh, and then we got another comment here from Ryan. Why would you sub Andrew Farrell? He was killing it all night. Uh, I think the more egregious substitution is taking off Gustavo Bo uh, for Tommy McNamara. You concede a goal, and then your response is taking off Gustavo Bo for Tommy McNamara. And for a minute or two, they did not play with a striker. Bobby Wood came on a minute later for Andrew Farrell, which is what Ryan is talking about. Um, I'm not so... Andrew Farrell, I don't think, is that offensive player. He had a very good night, uh, but I think ultimately he's not one of your offensive weapons that you need to keep on. So I'm I'm fine with Farrell coming off for Bobby Wood. Um, I, I don't understand the Gustavo Bo substitution in the slightest. I, I didn't understand taking off Dewan Jones for Ima Boateng. Ima Boateng coming on makes a lot of sense for me. Why Dewan Jones came off, um, uh, uh, that is a really confusing one to me. And what's even more confusing to me is not only do you need a goal and you're taking off Gustavo Bo and Dewan Jones, who are two very good players. Typically, you want your good players um, on the field when your season's on the line. Uh, but Dewan Jones and Gustavo Bo are two of your best penalty kick takers. And if this game ended as a tie, you're going to penalty kicks. So even if you do end up tying the game with Bobby Wood and Tommy McNamara, if you go to penalty kicks a few minutes later, you've taken off two of the guys that you typically send up there in the event of penalty kicks. So no idea what was going on with those substitutions. I, I can kind of defend Andrew Farrell um, as a substitution. I, he had a great performance, um, and we can talk about Andrew Farrell's contract status a little bit later, um, but... So, so maybe this was his last game in a Revolution jersey, but 
I, I, he had a great night, but I'm not shocked he came off. But Bo and Dewan Jones, I really have no excuse for. And I think Clint Pierre really, you know, I've given him a lot of benefit of the doubt. But I, I think last night's game and the substitutions he made kind of shows he's probably not a candidate for this coaching job. Uh, and, and he might not be suited for Major League Soccer in general. Yeah, I, thought, I saw the your Revolution Recap page tweet. I think it said, like, I think my TV must be malfunctioning after the the McNamara sub on for Bo because it, it definitely was a strange one I think if maybe both of those subs happen at the same time with um, Bo and Farrell going off then maybe it makes slightly more sense but it was just the fact that yeah there was a minute in between uh, the subs as if there was some indecision as to whether send on Bobby Wood or a striker at all and yeah when you see Bo going off um, it, yeah it did seem slightly odd from the penalty perspective and the fact that he had been the goal threat on the night and has been when fit the goal threat for the majority of the season ahead of the other players and then I agree on the Dawn Jones front as well I think I don't I don't necessarily think Ima Burton's got enough minutes this year I think he has got that ability to impact the games from the from the bench with his dribbling ability and speed but then yeah to do it for Dawn Jones who knows maybe there was a knock there I think particularly for Farrell having made quite a few uh long driving runs forward he was looking quite tired out there so I understood him going off but I still think in general yeah it's not not the perfect crowning moment for Clint Pierre in his first uh, month or two in charge of the revs because in general there have been some odd decisions and I think looking at social media after the game there were a lot of a lot of criticisms of the way Pierre has managed this game and general games and they're just as yeah general question marks as to whether he has the ability to lead this team forward, especially when um, you, you you move on from someone as established and iconic as Bruce Arena in, in the US game to go to PA, no disrespect, there was a, a big drop-off there and I think it maybe showed in, in this game and other games when it comes to game management and the, the little tactical analysis that you make as a, as a coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when he took over we kind of you know i said on the show you know he's trying new things he doesn't have a lot of time he's got to throw something against the wall and hope it works it the substitutions kind of tell me he he didn't have anything figured out he waited too long for substitutions in the first place he ran out a 10-man team for 80 you know i guess it wasn't 80 minutes that all that they were down a man but you know he didn't make a sub until the 82nd minute um it was a reactionary sub and then it was a reactionary sub that honestly to me was a little more defensive than offensive um you know i i could have understood mcnamara for polster or mcnamara for buck you know get fresh legs in the midfield but you're taking off you know really a striker you need on the field um and then you're right a minute later bobby wood comes in it was almost like they took off bow and then realized oh we don't have a striker out there we probably should have one of those out there uh so i thought that was interesting also interesting uh, brioni did not come in not complaining someone someone made the comment on twitter i apologize for not remembering who this was but they said they don't really like brioni as a sub it takes them a little while to get into the game which i i, I agree with i think that's a fair comment so I, i'm not too upset about bobby wood coming in over brioni um but it is i think it speaks volumes that um in both these playoff legs bobby wood came on over Giacomo Vrioni, and it kind of shows where current Revolution staff feel about Vrioni and his ability. So he just never really figured it out this year, and he's been a major uh, disappointment for a designated player. So uh, let's move on. Um, seeing the game, an immediate area of improvement next season is going to be getting more out of Nolbuck, who I think we all recognize has an ability that's special. I think being on the right side of midfield limits him, since not a lot of his space to impact the game is where Carlos prefers to operate. Since a lot, sorry. 
Uh, I think being on the right side of midfield limits him since a lot of his space to impact the game is where Carlos prefers to operate. How do you think we get more out of him? And I personally like him as an eight in the central midfield. I don't really like him up on the wing. Um, and I think when you have Barrero, Shankalai, and Carlos Hill uh, as your kind of three in the 4-2-3-1, maybe we see him kind of more established in the midfield with a map polster uh, or some sort of role. So um, I, I think playing him centrally uh, is going to uh, get a little bit more out of him. Uh, and I think right now, too, he's, he's a bit of a, I'll say, role player where, um, you know, if he's got weapons around him, uh, he, he doesn't make a, I'll say, a huge impact on the game. But I, I guess he's more focused on the little things. So um, I, I, I also want to say. We don't know if he's going to be here next year. <laughs> he's under contract for the Revolution, but I, I know there's a lot of interest uh, from European teams. Uh, obviously, he's got himself worked into the uh, England youth national setup, so uh, I'm sure he, the the Revolution will be fielding calls on Noel Buck uh, this off season. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Noel. Uh, but I think the way to kind of get more at him and have him grow is to get him regular minutes in the midfield as an established piece. Um, and I, I, that's, that's what I would do. Um, I, I think having him be kind of this right attacking midfielder, but not, not a, a winger is it's okay. But uh, I, I don't think that's his ideal position for the reason that seeing the game set here. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think Buck is, is at his best centrally. Um, the one thing I would be, interested to see how it works is we talk about the, the in a 4-2-3-1 if that trio is Shankalai, Barrera and Heal, three very attacking minded players, three very talented players going forward then I almost start to wonder because Buck is a, is a threat going forward does that all fit in is that maybe too top heavy obviously Pulse is a very solid six and he can do a lot of great work defensively but then yeah if in the 4-2-3-1 you're going to have Pulse and Buck as a two I'd almost I want someone to be a box-to-box, -box, and I think Buck is definitely very capable of that, but at the moment he is very smart going forward. And the one thing I think in this world of sport, in any sport, is we forget ages of players sometimes, and the fact he's literally an 18-year-old doing this is there's maybe too much pressure on his shoulders, I thought. Last night there was a couple of moments of indecision and some poor passes, and I think whilst he is very talented and yeah, will surely go on to be sold for a sizable fee for the revolution. I think, um, yeah, there is still that idea that he is literally a teenager still, and there is still a lot of growth there. So if he was to develop into a very competent box to box midfield, I think that would work out well, but um, whether obviously Mark Anthony K, as you said, has been hit and missing a lot more miss in a revolution shirt and in midfield in general, someone like Ian Harks hasn't played a whole lot. There is, yeah, an over-reliance on Polster on the defensive end, which Buck may, not, Buck may not then be the ideal partner. But yeah, I do think very competent player, very capable player, very exciting. And chances are he will be he will be sold on soon. So um, yeah, but last night, for me personally, I don't think it was his best game. I think there were some moments there where, as you say, the, the space is a bit crowded and um, sometimes... Yeah, that he just wasn't sure where to go, which I think was understandable with, at times, too many creative players in, in one tight space. Mm -hmm. It's also worth, you bring up a point about his age. You know, if you look at his minutes played, you know, he, he had an injury at the beginning of 2022. Uh, he had a very good 2021, but the number of minutes he's playing 
you know, he's, I don't have the minutes by minutes, season by season, but I imagine he played way more minutes this year between the Revs, uh, between England. Um, he had a big year and he's 18 years old. And, you know, there's a, you know, physically there's kind of a growth process, you know, it, you know, compared to, you know, baseball where young pitchers have an innings limit limit. You know, there's not really something like that in soccer, but you have to think he's probably tired. He's probably never had a season this long. The season started in February. It's November. Um, you know, he's 18 years old. He had a lot of responsibility put on his shoulder, as you said. And I think playing this full year, you know, you have to wonder if his body is fatigued. I, I know he had an injury in the middle of the season. Um, you know, he, he's had to pick up a lot of the slack. And at the beginning of the season, there was not a lot of expectation that he was going to be playing this much at all it was supposed to be Latif Blessing and Matt Polster in the midfield um Joshua Bulma was a potential eight uh you know they, they had other options you know Tom McNamara had his Achilles injury uh, there there were a lot of other options that um Noel Buck was not expected to be a 90 minute starter uh, and here he is you know eight months later uh playing a full 90 uh a man down so uh, I, I think we have to also consider that we probably did not see him uh be as effective as he was at the beginning of the season because he probably is just not as fresh uh, and this is his first real full professional season at a senior team level uh, and so there, there's a growth you know aspect that we have to consider here that um, you know maybe maybe he's just not as sharp because he's still a little bit raw and he's still you know growing into that kind of um, getting getting used to first team football uh, you know for eight months a year I, I think there is some credit to that as well that we we there's a reason why he just doesn't seem as impactful as before. So um, anything to add on that, Jamie, or should I move on? Uh, just one thing I was, but what something you made, uh, something you said there, uh, sparked something in my mind. I remember probably mid season or April sort of time. I remember in a press conference, Bruce Arena was speaking about, you've got obviously Nolbuck, Esmir and Tico Rivera. And he made a quite a good point is that, they are these young players, two of them teenagers, and Rivera's 20, I believe, that, yeah, there is going to be a development there, and you can't, even though, obviously, there's the old cliche that the younger players can run more, run more and they can play twice in a week and it'd be, be no issue. There is the obvious point of the physicality of it, and that I remember particularly with Rivera, he looked um, bright at times, but then also Bruce was very, very clear in that he didn't want to chuck him in at the deep end, and he had to maybe play him one week and then rest him another, and for his development sake, playing first team football week in, week out just wasn't a viable option. So for for Rivera anyway, so to now see Noel Buck doing it and playing so often, and whilst I would say he is of him, Esmeir and Rivera, he is the standout one, Noel Buck, it is a case of, yeah, you have to be have to be wary of those minutes. And yeah, I think that was one thing I, I had to give Bruce Arena credit for, is that he was he was smart in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh Matt Clayman says, I think we could see this loss coming from the second Mark Anthony K got sent off. Biggest takeaway is revs clearly aren't good enough right now and don't have enough firepower, firepower slash creativity on offense, among other issues. How do you think they attack this offseason heading into next year? Porter says something similar. Pretend you are the sporting director, uh, which you know I, I will declare my interest in that sporting director job, by the way. Uh, I just want to throw that out there, revs, if you're looking for someone. Uh, you know, I, I have a dynasty on uh, football manager 2013, so uh, feel free to give me a call. But anyway, pretend you're the sporting director. What roster moves do you make this offseason to set your up for set yourself up uh, for Messi's MLS in 2024? 
I, we always do a kind of quick roster breakdown before we get into uh, the offseason. Contract decisions are going to be announced over the next few days. We will have a podcast following that most likely. Um, I know today is the uh, exit interview type day where the players go in. Um, if they have an option on their contract, they learn whether or not their option is being picked up. So, uh, But the, the team has to report over the next few days. So we will get these um, decisions soon. So we'll have a bit more of a clearer picture. But just to start from square one and give you the full picture of what the roster looks like, under contract for 2024 on the senior roster is Dylan Barrero, Brandon By, Earl Edwards Jr., Carlos Hill, Nacho, Dewan, Mark Anthony Kay, Henry Kessler, Tommy McNamara, Matt Polster, Dave Romney, Thomas Fatsleek, uh, and Giacomo uh, Vrioni. Uh, so the senior roster, which really has no limitations on it. Um, I mean, obviously, there's salary cap, but those are, are kind of your uh, valuable spots in terms of signing veterans, uh, you know, not rookies, not super draft players. Uh, 13 of their 20 players. Uh, are already under contract and then on top of that you have Ima Botang has an option Andrew Farrell has an option Ian Harks has an option uh, for two years uh, which is an interesting one uh, Bobby Wood has an option uh, Christian McCoon we don't know about uh, and Thomas Shankalai has a purchase option I imagine Shankalai is being purchased I wouldn't be surprised if we see Ima Botang have his option extended um, since I believe it's it's pretty low um, actually Ima Botang I believe was on the supplemental roster so he might be on the supplemental roster but um uh, Andrew Farrell is on a pretty high number. I think his option is being declined and they will renegotiate with him. Uh, Bobby Wood, I believe they will extend. Ian Harks, I believe they'll extend. If they can get out of the Christian McCoon contract, I imagine they will uh, get rid of him. So uh, ultimately, we are looking at one, two, three. We are at uh, 16-ish spots uh, open. Uh, 17 if they, they uh, take on Ian Boateng. Uh, Omar Gonzalez, Gustavo Bo are free agents. I expect both of them to depart. Um then on top of the supplemental roster, which you have 10 roster spots for, Esmir, Nolbuck, Malcolm Fry, Peyton Miller, Jack Paniatu uh, all have contracts. Santiago Suarez also has a contract for next season. So six of the 10 supplemental roster spots are already taken. Uh, on top of that, you have options for Joshua Bulma. I think he's on the, ver- on the chopping block. Uh, Jacob Jackson has an option. I think he is on the chopping block after we saw three games from him. Uh, you also have Ryan Spaulding, who is either either has an option or he's a free agent. Uh, that one is going to be interesting to see what they do. I think they extend the option, but maybe they try to move him elsewhere. Uh, and then you have Ben Sweat, Nasiel. Sorry, Ben Sweat has an option. Ben Ravino has an option. Both of those, I assume, are going to be declined. Uh, and then Masiel, Justin Renex, Damian Rivera either have options or are free agents. I imagine Justin Renex is a free agent. I believe he is. I think he is uh, leaving the revolution. Damian Rivera, I'm very curious to see what happens with him if they extend his option. But he certainly seems to be a little bit out of favor at this point. We haven't seen him in a while. And then Masiel is obviously recovering uh, from his, his torn ACL, I believe it was, from last season. Um, I'm curious to see what they end up doing with him. Uh, I could see a situation where they option him or they extend his option if he, they have one and loan him to Revs 2 or loan him to a USL 2 side. Um, I, I, I can't say I've seen a whole ton of them, so I, I don't know where that one is. But ultimately, pulling back, um, you know, you have 16 or 17 senior roster spots taken. You have um, 6 of 10 supplemental roster spots. If you add in, let's say, Spalding and Bulma, that's 8. Uh, so you have a couple of spots for uh, Revs Tomb promotions or super draft picks, uh, which is fine. So um, really, you you don't have a ton of roster spots. So I think you need to look at who you're moving out, uh, who's leaving first before you can talk about bringing in players. And the other thing too, I would say, and Jamie, we'll get sorry for the monologue here, Jamie, but we'll get to you in a second. But I think a lot of this is going to be dictated by what Carlos Hill, what happens with him. He has a contract that ends at the end of 2024, and 
he might not want to be here for a rebuild. He might be done with this team. He might be checked out. And if he if you go to him and say, are you interested in extending your contract? Do you want to just play one more year out? If he says, I want to leave, you know, I think you have to consider looking to find him a new home abroad. Uh, I don't think you trade him with NMLS, but I think you look into selling him if he's he's checked out. Um, I don't think he is checked out. Uh, I think at the very least he's going to play his final year. But if you don't have Carlos Heel, then your offseason looks completely different and you are entering kind of a rebuild phase. You are kind of starting a youth movement. Um, but if you have Carlos Heel, you need to go all out to make sure his, if his, this is his final year, you're making one last run for it, even with Messi uh, you know, in Miami, probably going to dominate the league. So um, I, I think you figure out what happens with Carlos Heel, and then you go from there. If Carlos Heel leaves, you have guys like Brandon By, Dewan Jones, uh, Nolbuck, who you know, might be on their way out. You know, all of them are under contract for next year. By and Dewan Jones have options for 2025, but maybe you're looking to move on from them. Uh, but I, I think you start with Carlos Heel, figure out what he wants to do short-term and long-term, you find the right head coach to lead the locker room. You you trigger the purchase option on Thomas Shankalai. Um, and then, as I say, in terms of moving people out, Mark Anthony Kay, Thomas Vatsleek, Giacomo Vrioni, those are three guys that have pretty solid salaries. Vrioni is a designated player. Uh, Mark Anthony Kay is over the 650 uh, TAM minimum threshold. Uh, so you're using uh, allocation money on him. Vatsleek is getting starting goalkeeper money, but apparently um, Thomas... Uh, uh, Tom Quinlan reported that uh, they might be using, they've already decided to use the buyout option on him, which I don't know about that. I think maybe it's a mutual termination option, but he says that uh, Thomas Vatsleek is is leaving. Um, I, I think one of those players you need to, all of those players you really need to try to move on from. And if you need to use the um, buyout option, I would say probably on Mark Anthony K. Vrioni, I think you can sell overseas. Um, and then Vatsleek, again, hopefully you use the mutual termination option on him. Uh, you don't use your one offseason buyout on him, but um, you try to move on from those guys. You decline the option on Farrell, see if you can re-sign him a little bit. Um, and then ultimately, you're finding a partner, a, a very solid guy in the midfield, um, probably a number eight, especially if you sell Noel Buck, um, that can play alongside I'll say Matt Polster, but I, maybe you, you find a replacement for Matt Polster either. You strengthen that midfield, and then you get a number nine who is reliable as a single striker who can do it all because you're going to have Shankalai, you're going to have Dylan Barrero, and you're going to have Carlos Hill. And with all due respect to Bobby Wood, you need someone to finish chances and be a star. And you have the money to do that. You have sold George Petrovic, Adam Buxa, Matt Turner, Tejan Buchanan. You've been recouping all this money. If you open up a designated player spot, if Shankalai takes a designated player spot for Gustavo Bo, you find a way to move on from Vioni, and you you correct that mistake, and you find a number nine who is a star in this league, um, and, and you spend the money that you need to because you have one more shot with Carlos Hill as of right now. You have one more year on his contract, and you need to take full advantage of it, and you need to sign a goal scorer. So that is what I do. I don't think it's that hard. You have a back line of Dewan Jones, branded by uh, Henry Kessler, Dave Romney, um, that, that is, you, you, you obviously need to strengthen the depth there, but, and of course you need a goalkeeper, but I, I think really what, what it comes down to is that the striker position at the end of the second half of the season was dreadful and you need to go out and you need to find someone who converts chances. So sorry for the monologue. That is what the roster looks like. There's not a ton of, uh, roster room slot wise. Uh, and I think the revs have some work to do in terms of clearing out some of the dead weight, uh, that is currently under contract. So they have some flexibility to dollar wise and slot wise to bring in new players. Uh, but there ultimately there's things to work with here. And I think a new sporting director, a new head coach will be happy with what they have already. 
sorry for the sorry for the monologue jamie go as you say you said at the end there and i agree with a lot of what you said you said it then there is a lot for someone to do there could be a lot of big decisions to make um yeah um goalkeeper is definitely going to be one to look at because you've had matt turner and georgie petrovic as two of the best keepers in the league when they've been there so to now have um the options that you have whether Vasilik stays or goes we haven't seen him so he may not even be as good as he once was and then uh Jackson and Edwards are have looked solid enough maybe but yeah you do wonder if as you say if you're gonna have one more go at it with Carlos Hill then you need another goalkeeper and I think yeah again the, the striker position is so so interesting because Rioni hasn't really worked out I like Bobby Wood as an option obviously starting leading the line for a, a um, an MLS Cup contending team isn't going to happen with him at this stage, but I do think he's a good option. And then, yeah, if Bo goes, I think I think like a team I would look at like in the Eastern Conference, I'd be like, why can't we have our have our Joe Hernandez? Why can't we identify someone in that price range having got so much money for for Turner and uh, Buchanan and Petrovic and all that? Why isn't there the option there to um, this this off season there should be the chance to go and get a striker of that caliber who's just hit the ground running or uh, Yakimakis in Atlanta. Either. Neither of those two players they're obviously several million, but neither of them are, are going to break break the bank given the money you've accrued for sales. And they've both they've gone and been picked up from Watford and Celtic respectively, and and done a done a very impressive job to the top scorers in the league this year. So I do think recruitment is going to be key because as you say it is just a case of needing that elite number nine to accompany Shonkalai and Barrero and Hill if you add in an elite number nine to that team um, and as you said the back four is already very strong although maybe not lots of depth that is going to be a very solid team and um, yeah I do think there is there is promise with this side there shouldn't be too much doom and gloom because whilst there is perhaps a lot of dead weight and perhaps a lot of options that you'll need to move on. I do think there's experience there, there's youth there, there's high talent there. And um, one one thing I think will be interesting is um, uh, with Omar Gonzalez, I think when he was brought in as part of that trio around the same time, it was him, Josie Outdoor and Sebastian Leggett. It was quite underwhelming. Obviously, Josie was pretty ineffective. Omar, in his earlier days with the refs, was calamitous in defence to be honest he was causing so many goals he was coming on at late games and not being able to hold out I thought Leggett was the only one that showed any promise and he wasn't he wasn't here that long but now Gonzalez this year I think has been a lot more solid at times and he maybe is someone that could stay on as a as a, a depth option and um interesting to listen to obviously I'm sure we'll get into it the the lengthy um chat he had with um Tom Quinn and Seth McCumber and Sam Minton, I think great job to all of them for that reporting because that really was very eye-opening to hear what he had to say. And yeah, yeah, as I said, I'm sure we'll go into that in more depth, but I, it was interesting to hear him say that he does want to remain with the revolution, which I think is 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 interesting. And obviously, I'm I'm sure he would, but whether it will happen or not, yeah, I think there's just there's so much more movement that could happen, both incomings and outgoings. And um, yeah, maybe you sold no but no buck and you get even more money to add to the transfer budget. And you have to think that the club needs some ambition. Here will want to stay on the basis that there'll be investment in a striker, maybe a midfielder, some defensive depth and a goalkeeper. 
Yeah. Well, you bring up a good point too. If you're Carlos Hill, if the team isn't going to want to spend, you go to the front office and you say, if you're not going all out, I, I don't want to be here. I, I mean, I, I really think Carlos Hill is a phenomenal player. And I, we did get a comment. Uh, I'm sorry who asked it. Uh, I'll pull it up. But someone said, are, are we wasting the Carlos Hill era? Uh, John Pilkington, have we wasted the Carlos Hill era? He's past 30. Um, you know, he, he had another phenomenal season. Uh, he was an MLS All-Star. He was an MVP two years ago. But he's not getting younger. And he's not going to be here forever. And he's he's been a catalyst of this offense forever. So, I mean, if he's staying here, he doesn't want a project up at the number nine. He doesn't want, you know, a super draft pick and goal. He wants to win. And if I'm Carlos Hill, one, I'm going to the front office and I'm saying, I want, I want, I, I want to be in the room. I want to see at the table when we're discussing a head coach. One, because I, I think he's done with the Clint PA stuff. But two, I want to see the investment. You're going out and you're buying a nine. You're going out and you're buying a keeper. You're going out and you're you're going all in on 2024. There, he is completely justified in his in his spot to go out and say that because the end of the season was so horrible. And we'll get to the Omar Gonzalez comments in a second. I'm glad you brought that up. The end of the season was so horrible. I, every single player in that that locker room should be pissed off with how this season ended. And I don't think a lot of it was their fault. I think, well, let's get into the Omar Gonzalez comments because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overlap with them. If you haven't heard about it, Seth McComer, Tom Quinlan, Sam Minton talked to Omar Gonzalez in the locker room after the game yesterday. Omar Gonzalez was very open. Um, it is on the Blazing Musket website. It, I, I did not clip. Uh, I, I also retweeted it a few times. The It's six minutes. It's worth the full listen. Um, but it, included in there, I'll point out the major highlights. He said at one point the front office was in shambles. And when the front office is in disarray and in shambles, it bleeds over into the team. Uh, and he, he made it, you know, he, he basically pointed out the Bruce Arena situation as being the major catalyst. And he said, you know, we held it together for those eight weeks. But then once the report came out, uh, once the resignation came out, there was a lot of turmoil in the locker room. He also said, we, we already knew this from athletic reporting, but it's always good to hear uh, an, another um, player say this. He said, Richie Williams and Shalry Joseph and Dave Van Berg did not get along. They did not get along. They could not work together. Uh, I mean, the, the 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 locker room was a big mess, and uh, it really threw off this team. And there was, he said, there was a lack of leadership. There were too many voices in the room. This season really collapsed because of the chaos. And I think we all kind of saw that. So I, 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 I for full uh, context, I, I highly suggest you go to the Blazing Musket. You listen to the full six minutes. Uh, but for those that have listened to it, uh, and maybe if you're listening to this, you haven't heard it. Pause it. Go listen to the Blazing Musket, uh, the six minutes on the Blazing Musket, and come back. But Jamie, um, we got a question from Alex. The Omar Gonzalez interview was a great inside look at things since League's Cup. What do you guys make of what he said? Uh, what What are your What's your take on the Omar Gonzalez comments? And, and did any of it surprise you? I think there was one obvious surprise in the fact that he was so open. Like maybe I get it, it's slightly different in MLS compared to my English perspective watching the Premier League is that it's very um, media trained players and they're not able to be open because the media are out for blood all the time. And MLS, I do one thing I love about it is that it can be more open. You do hear players speaking their mind more. And I guess in a way, Omar Gonzalez doesn't have a lot to lose. He's in the latter years of his career. He's got all this experience with the Galaxy, 50 plus national team caps. He is, he knows what he's talking about. And yeah, it just was so refreshing to hear his honesty and as I said some great questions were asked so hats off go off to that trio that were asking the questions but um yeah there's there's just so many interesting quotes obviously he was someone that was I imagine particularly close with Bruce Arena and he was one thing that stood out he was saying um 
he said with Bruce you had a single voice and then um, I've got the quote he said after his departure there became this void and it started to fill up with a lot of voices we didn't know who was making decisions we didn't know anything and it, I think that that alludes to both off the field and on the field issues there was um, coaching issues and as he said the front officers are shambles there's no leadership there was so many issues with up and down the club there were issues off the field with whatever decisions were being made obviously the the fiasco was made even worse with um Richie being in charge for just a few days and as you said the the awful relationship we described between Richie, Shari and Dave and um yeah and towards the end he said I've never experienced the way this played out and as I said he's such a experienced head in MLS and in 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 Mexico as well in his club career that um yeah just to hear such honesty and as he said there is just so many issues that the Revs have gone through this season and at one point it was all very optimistic and it was a good season we were second in the east granted we probably weren't going to catch Cincinnati but we were looking good with the playoffs on the horizons a couple months away from the playoffs everything was looking positive and we did look as if both how we're performing on the field and the synergy you could say off the field was heading in the, in the right direction and um we still know so little about what happened with Bruce Omar said how little he knows as well and how little's been come out. So whatever happened there has happened. And yeah, it's just been a downward spiral ever since. And um, yeah, it was, yeah, I just put an echo it again, how refreshing it was to hear such honesty. It seemed as if at some point he would, he would stop being so honest, but the whole six minutes or seven minutes, he was just saying, answering all the questions so well. So yeah, as you said, I would implore people to, to listen to it because it is such a fascinating insight into into the revolution and what's going on. It's also worth pointing out, and for those of you that don't know the process, after the game, there is a press conference with the head coach, and then they provide a player or two, and they take questions from the media. And then afterwards, there's locker room access where you can go into the locker room and reporters can go up to players and ask if they want to talk. And players have every right to say no. Players have every right to say, we just got knocked out of the playoffs. I don't want to do this. Omar Gonzalez did not have to say any of this. He was not at a press conference. He was, This was locker room access. Seth went up to him and asked if he wanted to talk a little bit after the game, and he gave very candid answers. So I think Omar Gonzalez is, deserves a lot of praise for being this open. His con- He's a free agent. He, you know, he could have said, you know, I don't know if this is going to impact my free agent status. I don't know if it's going to impact my status here. I don't want to talk. Uh, but he, he gave a lot of really good answers uh, that I, I thought provide a lot of insight and pr- confirmed a lot of what we see or, or what the outside looking in sees. Um, I will also say that, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about Brian Bolello and if he needs to go. And I, I kind of said, you know, he's not involved with the soccer operations. He's involved in selling tickets. He's involved in getting the stadium at, you know, soccer stadium in Everett, which probably is never happening, but besides the point. Uh, and then he's also got a hand involved in the World Cup. He's involved in the business operations side of things. And with the revs are making profit, he's probably staying. Uh, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people, um, you know, there's no one left to fire, so we got to fire Brian Blow. I will say, and one thing I didn't talk about a few weeks ago that I've kind of reconsidered my stance on is that, and Omar Gonzalez, I'm glad he said this because I can kind of talk about this now, is that there were there was a massive fire being being spread throughout this locker room and the Revs weren't able to put it out. And that starts really at the top. Curtin Alfo is kind of knee deep into this whole Bruce Arena drama and Brian Bolello should have stepped in, should have recognized kind of the chaos within the house. Uh, and I think there's a lot of questions to why this was handled. And one of the things Omar Gonzalez said is that I don't understand. We have an HR department. Why did this go to major league soccer? 
I don't understand why this couldn't have been handled in-house. And I think I we got a question a few weeks ago about what would I like to see asked at the uh, Rebellion Summit. And I, I believe I said something like, something like that. Uh, maybe maybe I, I said that privately instead of on the podcast. But why was this elevated to Major League Soccer? Why do we need Major League Soccer and a third party to um, to to do this investigation on Bruce Arena? Um, and we don't know what was said. Maybe it did require that level but brian blella makes it sound like he was completely bypassed um and there are a lot of little things why richie williams had to go out and do his midweek press availability after um the athletic had that piece after the minnesota game why didn't brian blello go out there and, and take the leadership and accountability and why didn't he address the media did they know richie williams filed this complaint if they did why did they feel it was appropriate that he was the interim coach uh, did, did they not think that was going to lead to internal strife maybe they didn't know he made that complaint but that's context that's important to know uh, t- uh, uh tom quinlan said you know why did uh dave and shawry have to go and, and omar kind of said they didn't get along but i mean why were they never given a chance you know when richie williams didn't work out why wasn't dave vandenberg elevated to head coach um why why did they have to get rid of those two um you know there's a lot of questions here that you know even outside of the scope of the investigation it's kind of like oh what did you know and when did you know it and we're never going to get those answers but from the outside looking in it looks like a mess and i think a lot of the kind of consensus I had is like well we it's hard to make a judgment call because I don't know but the players don't know and when the players don't know and when the players are just and confused and angry as us it's not a shock that the performance lacked um you know there was a lot of mistrust throughout that locker room and um it, it was just a disaster and and I, I think there does deserve to be a lot of uh, criticism uh towards Brian Below that and again I, I don't know what he can and can't comment on but at the end of the day this locker room imploded uh, one, one real quick thing here. Josh says, Omar didn't want to touch the question. Clint may not have even been picking the lineups. What was happening? Had your opinion on Anolfo become colder? All of a sudden, P's, PA's mid-game substitution turnarounds may have been giving Anolfo's, uh, may have been just Anolfo's mistakes, thoughts, feelings. This is in regards to a question about Tom Quinlan asked if Kurt Anolfo was making lineup decisions. And Omar Gonzalez basically said, I don't know. I don't read into that as Anolfo is making decisions. I read that into Omar Gonzalez had no comment on it. So I think people are taking that and saying, wow, Anolfo is making decisions. Um, I, I don't know if Tom knows something I don't, uh, but I, I'm not jumping to that conclusion. I don't know if that's true. Uh, Jamie, did you have a different read on that? No, I mean, I agree. As you said, towards the end of it, um, Omar did jest that um, it been funny. He wants a contract. He wants to stay here, stay here. So he's going to... He's going to be open as he is, and that's great. But at the same time, you can't expect him to literally answer anything. So I do think it was a case of he didn't want to um, say goodbye to his career. Whether he knows anything or not, as you say, isn't something to be read into. It's just a general case of uh, I don't want to say t- I can't say too much, and yeah, I need to I need to think about the, the logics of it. That I need to I want to stay here and play. So yeah, I don't think there's too much to be read into there. Mm-hmm. Uh- Mike D, uh, I'm on the next season. This was over the moment Bruce was sidelined. Also, how do we compete with the super team they're building down in Miami next season? We answered that already. Any insight on roster rule changes next season? I know a fourth designated player is rumored. I would not be surprised if a fourth designated player comes in. Um, other than that, I mean, the, the only roster rules they're going to make since the CBA is established is if it makes more money for the league. And so I certainly could see a situation where... Um, they add a fourth designated player if they think it's going to get more eyeballs onto Apple TV. Uh, I, there's going to be minor tweaks. There's always minor tweaks to the roster rules every year. I don't think there's going to be anything earth shattering over the uh, fourth designated player. So I think that that's 
essentially my insight, but I don't know anything. So we'll, we'll see where it lands. And uh, when roster rules are announced, I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, at the beginning of next year, which I know everyone's thrilled about. I know everyone loves roster rules. So um, Jamie, any, any comments on that or should I move on? No, I mean, uh, one quick thing I think is not to say that obviously Miami are in any way dictating how the league goes, but you see the rumours of whether Luis Suarez could could join Messi Busquets now, but you do start to wonder, obviously we see, we saw issues with um, the Galaxy, with Pavone, with DP issues and whatnot. So yeah, you do have to wonder where, where, where the league reaches a point where it does want more eyeballs and they do want team, a team like Miami to be able to to be able to spend what they want and to be able to bring in the bigger names that are going to attract the eyeballs. So I do think it will get to a case where the league obviously wants to continue growing and to do so there will be a four for a 50p. I wouldn't be shocked if we have a fourth designated player in the offseason. Um, I, I would honestly, I, I put it more probable than not at this point, just because if Messi wants another friend and it's not there, you know, it, it's going to be similar to the um, Beckham Galaxy situation where, um, you know, Omar Gonzalez is a free agent and the Galaxy can't fit him in. Okay, well, we've just created Tam. Now you can fit him in. Um, I, I think it's going to be something like that. Uh, Mr. Souffle, people I never want to see again. Clint Pierre, Richie Williams, Omar Gonzalez, Ben Sweat, uh, Mark Anthony K, Giacomo Vrioni. And honestly, I know this is rash, uh, but Jacob Jackson. Uh, I, I, I would take Omar Gonzalez off that list. I think Omar Gonzalez has redeemed himself uh, with this season. Um, I, 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 I know they have Santiago Suarez uh, coming up in the pipeline, so I, I think maybe... He would, they would have, he would have to resign on smaller money, uh, but uh, I, I think he did a decent enough job that I'd be fine. But the rest of this list, um, I'm okay with. Um, any comments on that list? Uh, do you want to defend any of those players, uh, or do you want to boot them uh, like uh, Mr. Souffle here? Sorry, could you quickly repeat the list? I'm trying to remember who. Pa Pa Richie Williams, Omar Ben Sweat, Mark Anthony K, Verioni, and Jacob Jackson. Um, I uh, I agree with you on the Omar thing. I think I was very very critical of him early on and some of the mistakes he's making were really really elementary and just really poor so i but now i've seen the turnaround and not to say that um oh he should be kept on because he's a good person but seeing this openness maybe a leader like that is someone you want to keep in the dressing room even if he's not going to play much and the only other one not a defense but mark anthony k as they said wasn't great at toronto but just seeing what he was able to do in that LAFC midfield. Um, obviously, we saw Blessing come into the revolution, another member of that LAFC midfield, and not be able to shine. So not necessarily saying players are going to remain superb from one team to another, because we saw that from Kay when he went from LAFC to Toronto. But I do think seeing what he was able to achieve in that midfield, I think if he wasn't in a club where all the, there was all these issues. I think that can't, can't, can't be written off that he may have been poor in his time here, but he has had to go through some some huge issues that we've spoken about off the pitch. So I think if you give him a good run at it next year, I'd want to see him have a go. But then obviously there is the issue, as you spoke about, is he is on quite a sizable contract. So he's another player I'd, I'd root for. And then, I mean, Jacob Jackson, he's, he's still young, so I'd, um, I, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be looking to get rid of him straight away. I think, especially with the lack of quality we have in that position, if Vaslik is to go, let's say, and you then bring in one very good goalkeeper, I don't see why keeping it um, keeping Jackson would be so bad. But I think off with the yeah with off field uh, members like Williams, I think yeah chances are he should be going, and then PA back down to Revs too. I think also makes sense if he's a good fit still there. Mm-hmm. 
outside of Hitchcock, I think everyone on the coaching staff uh, should be recycled in and out. And PA, baby PA and Santos goes back to revs too. Uh, but I, I think this team needs a fresh start. Uh, Mark Anthony K uh, questions. Teal Forever says, what value does Mark Anthony K bring? Uh, Derek says, was why was Mark Anthony K ever considered for the starting lineup? Always should have been uh, Tommy Mack or Ian Harks. I believe Harks was available for this game, uh, but he, he obviously has not played in a long time. So I kind of get why he's out, but I would have gone with T-Mac. Uh, and then TSB11, tell me again why we're starting uh, Mark Anthony K alongside Matt Polster. Uh, I, I I can't tell you. I, I cannot tell you. I don't think his performances were that good. Um, yeah, I, I even before the red card, um, he had a couple of missed chances. He missed a header, uh, I think, in the 20th minute. Uh, there was a three-on-two break where in the 17th minute, um, you know, it actually looked pretty good and it was well defended by Philadelphia. But, um, you know, I... I he, he he doesn't do it for me. I'm not too excited. And I, I think he was supposed to bring it, be brought in to challenge Polster, not play alongside Polster. Um, I don't get why he started this game. Uh, Jamie, any theories? Um, well, obviously, from what I just said, I would have made out that I'm more of a fan than most from the sounds of it. And I think maybe I am living in the past a bit from what he did with LAFC. But um, in, in that LA midfield, for example, I think when you talk about his relationship with Polster, he was... Um, more more forward thinking with um, Edward Atuesta as the deepest player, so I'd say to have him have him give again give him a chance going further forward. But um, no, I can't can't disagree that yeah he was not great last night and hasn't really been great ever in a Revolution shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teal Forever says, uh, thanks to the Revs coverage. Uh, he thanks a, a number of people uh, that covered the team this year. Thank you uh, for that, Teal Forever. But he also says, uh, Romney for team MVP. And he also says, does Jones stay in the MLS offseason? Uh, Romney, I, 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 we actually talked about this in the Blazing Musket. There was a roundtable. Uh, I think it was between Romney and Heal, and I don't think either answer is wrong. Uh, but And I'll get your, your take on that in a second. But in terms of DeWan Jones, uh, does he stay in MLS this offseason? He has a contract with the Revs next year. Uh, he also has an option beyond that. There's two more years. Uh, of team control for the revolution. I think wing back uh, or or outside back is an an area that I don't think you're really looking to uh, downgrade. Uh, So unless they're selling off pieces and starting a rebuild, I think DeJuan Jones is with the the team next season. Um, So quick on that. uh, Who's your team MVP? And do you think DeJuan Jones stays in MLS next season? So um, I'll start with Jones first. I mean, from a Revs point of view, you want to keep him and you have to keep him because of how important he's been and he is still young, but um, given his exploits with the national team as well. I mean, I'm sure there will be some interest at some point, whether it's from Europe maybe. So, I, I mean, yeah, the Revs need to keep Jones, but whether they'll be able to, who knows. And then um, MVP, I mean, because of what he does, and again, the attack wouldn't be, the attack would have been useless without him, given Burrow's injuries and the issues up front. So I think Hill has to be team MVP. But no, I think Romney was definitely one of the better better trades in the last few years we've seen from this t- team as I mentioned with the likes of Altador and Leggett and Gonzalez there's been some poor ones but no, I think Romney Romney was very very strong at the back and when you've got Fowler in and out and obviously Kessler's injuries he was he was a constant so I'd say he all has to be team MVP based on just who he is and what he does but Romney and then I, I'm a big fan of Matt Polster so I think those two would would make up the podium for me for team MVP this season. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we have a couple of questions, uh, and we're going to try to wrap. We're, I know we're already over the hour mark, so we're going to try to go quick on these. Sunday afternoon fullbacks, what's stronger, your disappointment about this past season or your pessimism about the future, knowing Bruce was the only reason this team was relevant over the past four years, and people, people like Brian Bolello are still in position to make decisions about the team. Uh, Revolution Central says signing Bruce Arena was a huge paradigm shift for the club. What is your confidence level that the front office will continue that upward trend with the new hires, or will we get complacent? Uh, Jamie, uh, what is your confidence level in the Revolution rebounding in a post-Bruce world? It's, it's such a difficult one to answer because because of, of yeah what he did bring and the experience and his know-how. And as you say, there are still individuals involved in the hierarchy who have maybe outstayed their welcome and got decisions wrong. And then, um, and to the point of, um, I'd say I'm, but still I'd say I'm more disappointed about this season, given all that's gone wrong, than pessimistic about what's to come. Because I do think surely there's the money available to make a couple of very good signings. But in general, I would say, yeah, I'm not not wholly optimistic. But I mean, with MLS, with every year, there's a few teams that struggle in each conference. So would would being a playoff team and then seeing how it goes in the postseason be so bad? Um, I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's, you know, we got a lot of Bruce out questions last year in 2022. And a lot of the answer was, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. Who are you replacing him with? Where are you going forward? And you're not just replacing a head coach. You're replacing a system. So my confidence level is is not great. It's kind of a show me what you got. And I think that there is a there's an attractive core to this team. And I think that, you know, the coaches should be interested in this job. Um, but, the, you know, it's not just about signing the biggest name. It's about making the right right signing. And um, I don't know if there's a slam dunk head coach available throughout MLS at this moment in time. Uh, so I, I'm curious to see where they go from here. And, and a lot of it starts with the sporting director, which I'm still confused why it's taking so long to sign a sporting director. It's been two months. Um, and I'm also surprised, you know, Kurnoff has been making signings. We've talked about this a little bit. I'm surprised he's making the signings like Malcolm Fry, you know, if, if that he's got the green light to make that signing. I don't know if Anolfo is staying. I don't know if he's staying on in some capacity. I, I don't think that's wise. I think you need a clean start overall. Um, but the, I, I'm not super confident um, that we will be getting a sequel to the Bruce Arena era because it was certainly uh, one of the better eras of the Revolution franchise. In terms of what's stronger, my disappointment about this past season or the future, I, I think this season, it's. I mean, the, this is probably one of the worst endings to any season in Revolution history. Um, and it somehow was more miserable than, than 2022, which was extremely below everyone's expectations. So um, Blue Jay six says, here are my questions starting from worst to best organizations. Where do the revs fit in? Um, I, and this is a whole nother podcast. We could really break down every single organization in major league soccer. So I'm just going to kind of quickly, uh, I, I think the revs are a C minus organization. They're not the worst run. There are teams like the rapids where they have no interest in competing uh, Montreal, this past season, I think they made the, you know, what were they, 10th in the East, but um, they really did not, they, they don't have a lot of uh, ambition. Uh, the Revs, if you look at them salary-wise, they're up there, and in, in, they're in the top half of the league in, league in spending. Uh, they're in the top half of the league in salaries for designated players. Um, it it kind of depends on what you are looking for in an organization. Are you looking for money spent? Are you looking for wins? Are you looking for ambition? Um, you know, a team like Philadelphia doesn't spend a lot of money. 
but they have a very strong academy and they win. So they're, in my opinion, they're one of the better organizations out there. Uh, I, I think if you look at the top organizations, your Atlanta's and your LAFC's, Miami right now, um, you know, the Revs are very, very far away away from that. But you know, I'd rather be the Revolution than the Chicago Fire or um, the Colorado Rapids or the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, there are some teams, there are some owners that have no interest in, in competing in Major League Soccer. And if they, the team has a winning season, it's totally by accident or it's, it's because they have some really good draft picks and, and academy kids. Um, whereas the Revs, they're spending their money. Uh, they're spending their money on designated players. They're just, a lot of times they're missing. Uh, you know, they're missing on Vironi, they're missing on Josie Altador, they're missing on Omar and, you know, Lejet or whoever. So, um, I don't think the Revs are a flawless organization by any stretch of the imagination, but they are not the worst. So if I were to put them in terms of how well they are being run, if I'm looking at this from a past three or four years, I'd put them middle of the pack. If I'm looking at, I got some follow-up uh, with him, uh, with, with the person who asked this question. He said, you know, looking at the past few months, I'd put them towards the bottom of the league. I And, and this goes to what I was talking about a little while ago. If we're just looking at right now, um, a lot needs to be put in place. A new A new sporting director, a new head coach, it is right now a disaster uh, and it's it's probably a bottom you know if we're just looking at the past, past couple of months you know it's a bottom bottom three bottom four organization uh but i, I also think this is probably one of the most turbulent times uh for the, the organization so i think looking at the bigger picture here going forward um you know i, I have more confidence in this team than say colorado uh, who, who might be hiring chris armis so um that's that's kind of where i am jamie do you have any any thoughts about where the revs rank in terms of the organizational structure in mls I think certainly, as you said, last few months, for me, I, I don't see how the Revs wouldn't be bottom because there's been so many big decisions. And obviously, the caveat always is we don't know what Bruce has said. Obviously, if it's we don't condone it, if it's something obviously really bad, but still no one knows. And um, it could have been the right decision, but how it was handled was such a mess. And yeah, so the Revs have to be bottom in that regard. And then two words or two phrases, you said money spent and ambition. And whereas there have been some... DPs brought in there's still you'd like to think obviously there's a hope of a soccer specific stadium and then there's obviously the the idea of um all the big sales you've had in the last few years and no one really being brought in for big money yet with, with that revenue received but then I think yeah one team that came to mind that you mentioned was the Chicago Fire I think when you've obviously got such history in MLS and to now see them as a even if they've got a, a star player like Jordan Shakiri that they've had in the past couple of years, um, for them to be failing to make playoffs the majority of years is very underwhelming, whereas obviously the Revs have had more of an upward trajectory and that when Bruce has come in, they've gone from a team that hasn't really won anything, get, get over the line, finally win the Shield. And I think, yeah, they're, overall they've been on a better trajectory than quite a few teams in the league, so they are definitely not at the bottom. But then when you bring the past few months into the picture, then it does get like a lot lot of a worse scenario and you do have to worry about how will they recover and what can they actually do to change things going forward. I, I will say, I want Blue Jay to ask me this question three months from now going into the 2024 season. So Blue Jay, if you're listening, ask us this again in three months because we're going to learn a lot about this organization and their ambition with the sporting director hire, the head coach hire, and what they do this offseason. Uh, there's going to be a lot of changes because if the Revs hire Chris Armas, they apparently were interested in Phil Neville, according to uh, The Athletic. 
um, you know, who, who, who the head coach is, uh, who the sporting director is, and what decisions they make this offseason, I think is going to be very telling. And, and it, it, you know, as Sunday afternoon fullbacks asked, you know, what's the confidence level going forward? Uh, you know, not great. Uh, and, and so I'd like to see how they recover. Um, and, and right now, it's kind of a show me what you got type thing. Uh, Blue Jay also says, though, can you guys finally explain what happened with the replacement keeper? Uh, and speaking of the goalkeeper position, why is Chelsea, uh, why was why was Chelsea so hot to get Petrovic, uh, but he still hasn't played? I don't know what's going on with Chelsea. I know they just throw money around, but they're still a disaster. I, I, I'm stumped on the Petrovic thing. In terms of the uh, Thomas Vatsleek, he's posting that he's fit. Um, I know that there was a comment made uh, Charlie Davies said, um, you know, he wasn't as fit as expected or he wasn't as sharp as expected a couple of months ago. Uh, Brian Bolello said at the um, summit that uh, Thomas Vetsleek, they thought they were getting a goalkeeper getting fit. And Kevin Hitchcock is choosing the, the best player available. I, I have a theory that I don't think I've said publicly yet, but a lot of people are, are looking at the fit comments. But I, I was rethinking about the Brian Bolello saying, you know, Kevin Hitchcock is picking the, the guy he thinks is best. And, it, you know, I think we talked about this on podcast that Kevin Hitchcock seems to be the guy making the decisions. You know, the Revs tried to get other keepers. We know the Revs tried getting Josh Cohen and Atlanta blocked that move. I, I'm under the impression that my, my theory is that Kurt and Alfo, they needed a keeper. They had two keepers going into this the end run. They needed a keeper. They weren't 100 percent sold on this guy. He wasn't plan A. He wasn't plan B. He probably wasn't plan C, D or E. They signed him as a panic move. But Kevin Hitchcock didn't want him. And if Kevin Hitchcock is making the decisions, maybe there's some stubbornness there. Uh, Maybe Kevin Hitchcock was right and they didn't want him. But I think at some point there was a disconnect between we need to sign this guy. One person is saying we need to sign this guy and they forced to move. um, And and the coaching staff really did not want him. Um, and really are not impressed with them. So I, I think there was some sort of disconnect here, and it's a horrible move. He never made an appearance with the Revs. He has a contract for next year, so I think there's some people who say, well, he's not fit, and it's really just done for appearance purposes. You'd sign him to a six-month contract. You sign Ian Harks to a six-month contract. Why wouldn't you sign Vats Leak to a six-month contract? So um, I, I, they signed him to an 18-month deal. Uh, so I, they obviously had whoever made that decision had some confidence in him, but clearly that didn't translate to the coaching staff. So uh, I, I wonder if there's some internal strife over the signing and, and disagreement on it. And um, yeah, I, I would love to know uh, because that's is saying he's fit, uh, but I, I have no nothing for, for certain, uh, but uh, just more organizational dysfunction uh, is my guess. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot I can add there. I think the word I just always want to use is baffling. I just cannot understand for the life of me, what has gone on when um, when you've had this issue with a keeper of of some repute who's come from obviously maybe not recently but was playing at a high level of severe and now he's just yeah whether he's fit or not no one knows but it's just chaos and then to the other point I thought was interesting with Chelsea and Petrovic you see um, I've been obviously as an Englishman I've been looking at it closely with my affinity for MLS and the Revs and I, I just haven't been able to understand that either they've had cup games and you think fair enough goalkeepers in a position that you're going to rotate as much but um, they had EFL Cup run they're still in it but they played AFC Wimbledon so a few leagues above them surely that should be a game where Petrovic is playing granted he hadn't been in the country that lo- not that long so fair enough but then since in that same competition they've played Brighton and Blackburn at home and you think Maybe Blackburn as a championship side. Fair enough, Robert Sanchez is the number one, but you'd think surely that is when Petrovic should be getting his chance. And then you just do have to wonder. I get 
he's a backup goalkeeper, but he has to get some chances, especially when he's young and he's got all this pedigree and you spent a decent chunk on him. You do think eventually you're going to have to give him a go and let him show just how good he is because I'm sure you agree, Greg, from what I saw in the Revolution shirt, he is that good and he can go to the very top and I wouldn't be surprised to see if, if given the chance, he could easily supersede uh, Robert Sanchez is a Chelsea number one. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Mm-hmm. I, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Very well said a uh, quick comment here. I want to get, we, we touched on this, but I want to say it on the podcast. Real OT daddy on threads, be our friend on threads. Make sure you follow us on threads. Uh, it says two questions. Boating's 90th minute sub was 30 minutes too late and should have been for Farrell, not Jones. I'm fine with that comment. Uh, was it PA giving the fan base the finger or did he forget he could sub uh, when he's down a man? We complained about the subs earlier. I did think it was funny. I, I made the joke to Sean uh, that uh, Clint PA's big signal that he's tired of coaching the revolution is subbing off Gustavo Bo when you're down a goal for Tommy McNamara. Uh, but uh, also he says, uh, how likely are these changes gone next year? PA, Kai, Sweat, Gonzalez. Uh, we talked about this a little bit. K, uh, Mark Anthony K has a, a contract for next year, so he might be staying. Uh, we talked about that in depth. Uh, but likely playing in Europe, Buck and Jones. We talked about Jones. We talked about Buck. Uh, still here next year, despite me, Vrioni. Vrioni also has a contract. Curious to see where that leads uh, between the, the player and the club. I wouldn't be surprised if Vrioni also wants to, to leave. So uh, curious if they're able to work something out. Uh, Jose French, uh, uh, talking about the other uh, former Revs keeper, uh, Jose French and Dino says, uh, I would assume the Revs will be on the hunt for a goalie in the offseason with that in mind. Do you think there's a chance we could sign Matt Turner back? I don't think his EPL is going, EPL stint is going well so far. Uh, and his, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the, his, the other goalkeeper's name on Nottingham Forest, but he just got off to a promising, promising start against a talented Aston Villa team. Obviously, I know the answer isn't likely, and I know, have no idea how much he's cost, but if his form keeps up and Turner goes down, I'd imagine Turner would be open to coming back, even if it's for a short stint before Copa America next year. Do you think there's any chance of exploring that? I think there's a chance, uh, but you got to remember, I think Nottingham Forest just spent $10 million on him. Um, so if the Revs were to acquire him permanently, he's a designated player. The, the, the transfer fee would put him over the designated player threshold for sure. So do you want to spend a designated player on a goalkeeper? I don't know about that. Uh, you could get him on loan if Nottingham Forest eats a, enough of a chunk of that salary that uh, you can get him below the designated player threshold, but I don't know if they'd be willing to do that. Um I would say it's unlikely to very unlikely. And you also have to wonder if Matt Turner wants to come back to major league soccer. A whole reason he went over there was to uh, improve his uh, national team status. And uh, he's currently the number one, even if he's a backup, um, I I think, you know, it might be better for him to be in the premier league from a U.S. national team standpoint. So um, I I would put it at extremely unlikely that Matt Turner returns to the revolution, at least in 2024, maybe down the road when his contract is up and he wants to return uh, to major league soccer. Maybe the revs get in, throw their hat in the ring. But uh, I think for 2024, um, I would almost put this, I'd put it 99.99% no. Agreed. Yeah. I think obviously, from Rev's point of view, you'd love to have him back. Why wouldn't you? He was so good. But from his point of view, yeah, he's he's there now, and obviously, um, he's he's worked his way into into a, a Premier League team, someone a team that's ambitious and spending money. And I think even if let's say it doesn't work out at Forest and he is demoted from from the starting spot and does become a bench option, I think the more likely scenario is that he would go to a in the with all due respect a lesser league in Europe where you've obviously seen other Americans thrive, whether it be a Belgium or even a Germany, so not even that much of a drop-off. I think that would be the more likely scenario for him than returning to the Revs. 
Uh, let's move on to the sporting director head coach questions. Rob says, what is your dream and realistic hires for sporting director and head coach? Traeger says, who are your top five candidates for both the sporting director and head coaching roles and why? Sporting director, I think, is a very difficult question because there's a lot of executives I don't know about. Um, I per Just what I'm looking for is MLS experience uh, within a winning organization. I, I think some sort of poaching a, a, a high executive up from a winning organization like a Atlanta, Cincinnati, Seattle, LAFC, um, Philadelphia. I, I think that is ideal. Um, if Ernst Tanner, his contract ran out, I would have said him, but he, he resigned with Philadelphia. Um, but I'll, I'll give this one over to you. I'll give head coaches to you. Uh, do any any let's see realistic or dream hires for head coach and do you have a maybe not top five but three or four candidates that you'd like to see the revs go after uh, head coach wise and if you have anyone sporting director wise you can you can throw that out there too but uh what are your thoughts on uh, head coach and sporting director so yeah just to say from a point of view of sporting director i'm i'm the same as you i can't pretend to know many people that do that job so I'd, again as you say mls experience and ambition is is what we need and then I mean, uh, from a managerial point of view, I mean, there's, I'm sure there are some, I can't think of any obvious names who are out of work with the MLS experience. And obviously you've seen on, on social media, the 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 debate about whether there should be a, a superstar hire. I think um, Tom Quillen was heavily involved in the conversation by putting forward Jose Mourinho and he was alluding more to a Mourinho type figure as opposed to Mourinho himself. But like, um that would obviously be shooting for the stars and and looking for someone big like that. But I guess with the league on the rise and some solid players in New England, there could be the chance to attract someone who otherwise you wouldn't expect. I mean, from an English point of view, um, I think let's say Scott Park has done some good work, whether it be um, with Bournemouth or Fulham. Uh, not quite worked out with him with Club Bruges, but he's someone I think is, he, is a young manager that would be worth giving a chance, I think. That could be a way to go, a younger manager who is where it's mutually beneficial, where they need to to work up their CV, someone English like that who before they return to Europe. So, yeah, he'd be a name on, that I'd think of. Um, Ram Bronkhorst out of work now, no longer with Rangers. Those are just two off the top of my head thinking that they would be looking for work. And again, younger managers who could do with it for their CV. Um, obviously, we've seen in MLS that doesn't hasn't always worked. The obvious one being uh, De Boer in Frank De Boer with Atlanta was calamitous. But no, yeah, I think either someone like that, Parker, a younger manager, or even if it's a stopgap for a year, maybe you do just get someone that, that knows the league and can steady the ship and not push the boat out, but can make the simple decisions and, uh, yeah, steady the boat. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think just looking at names, I, I believe Oscar Pereja's um, contract is up at the end of the year. So I think I'd give him a call. He's obviously done a great job down in Orlando. And I think that might be the biggest free agent uh, manager. I believe he's still out of contract. Um, Jesse Marsh, I believe, still is looking for a job. Um, you know, one name I, I kind of thought about, I know Bob Bradley's contract with his Norwegian team ends at the end of the year. If you're looking for a Bruce Arena role, maybe you give Bob Bradley a call and hope that maybe Toronto was a bit of a fluke. I, I'm not so much sure about that one. Um, if Greg Vanny is fired, I think Greg Vanny is a name you explore. And then uh, Gio Savarisi, who I know the Revs have been linked to. I, I think that's a very good candidate, too. Um, so uh, in terms of a dream coach, 
boy, I'd probably say Jesse Marsh. Uh, he had success in Major League Soccer. He's coached at a higher level. Uh, I think he would command the respect of the locker room right off the bat. Um, and, and as I say, he's familiar with MLS and has international experience. I think that's. Uh, I, I think Major League Soccer experience is kind of needed, especially for a sporting director, so they understand all the rules, but also with a head coach. So uh, I, I, I kind of look more on the domestic side of who can coach at this level successfully. And the guys I just kind of ran down, I, I think those are kind of my list of who I'm, I'm looking at. And most of those, I would say, is more in the realistic than the dream scenarios. Um, but I, I think for the revolution, they're going to be looking for the top American coaches or the top MLS coaches. Uh, and I, I think that's kind of my list there. Uh, uh, who has the best shot at winning MLS Cup? And additionally, as Revs fans, who do we root for? I believe the Revs have the next spot uh, in the um, Supporter Shield standings uh, for a Champions League bid. So I believe... If the following teams win MLS Cup, Cincinnati, St. Louis, uh, well, it's not St. Louis, never mind, sorry, cut them off. Cincinnati, Orlando City, Columbus, uh, I believe there's another spot allocated to, uh, allocated to the Supporter Shield standings, and that would go to the New England Revolution. So I, I think we're rooting for Cincinnati, Orlando, or Columbus. Uh, the Dynamo clinched a birch through the Uf, uh, U.S. Open Cup, and then Nashville and Philadelphia... Nashville's out, uh, but Philadelphia also clinched the League's Cup. I don't know if that, if they win MLS Cup, does it go to the next League's Cup or the next Open Cup? Um, uh, I think that's the case. So I think we were rooting for Cincinnati, Orlando, and Columbus. Uh, so go Eastern Conference. Um, in terms of who, who do I think has the best shot at winning MLS Cup, um, I, I think Cincinnati has a very solid team. Uh, but I also, full disclosure, have some futures on LAFC, and I'm very excited to see St. Louis Lee lose uh, in the first round. So uh, my, my pick is a Cincinnati versus LAFC final, uh, and I'm going to pick LAFC. That's my prediction. Jamie, uh, what do you think we're going to see here uh, coming down the stretch? Um, to be honest, I think from what we've seen consistently over the years from the Union, I definitely couldn't rule them out. Obviously, they're, they're going to be missing players now. Um, uh, the centre back, uh, Glesnes not featuring against the Revs. Wagner with obviously that that whole thing, and then um, Carranza up front. They are missing a few players, but um, I would say, whilst obviously the Revs and the Union don't have the best relationship, I still I wouldn't be opposed to seeing them win it. I think it's commendable the way they use their academy. And um, full disclosure, um, bet responsibly, of course, but I, I did have a bet on them at the start of the season to win MLS Cup, so I'm vested invested there. And then on the West, I mean, um, obviously with Game 3 between Houston and RSL coming up, I would quite like to see either of those win it someone a bit different. But I do think um, the chances are, as you say, LAFC and Cincinnati are two very strong sides. And I think um, I wouldn't be surprised if Cincinnati do uh, pull off the infamous double. I know it's not something that's done that often in MLS, but I do think they are a very strong side. So I would say Cincinnati could be the team to go all the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're, we're approaching an hour and a half so I'm going to try to run through these last few comments here quick I, p- I apologize for the length on this one uh, but end of season stuff always gets uh, a little long and messy and a lot of venting uh, Tim says soccer gods had mercy on us tonight I, I will say one thing I, 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 the MLS season is too long uh, they, they need to sort this stuff out. The season started in February. It's November. We have a month to go. Uh, college basketball is starting. The NBA, NHL have started. NFL and college football are in full swing. And MLS is trying to sell me on Orlando, Nashville, game two of a three-game set in the first round on a Monday night. 
they gotta they gotta rework this format and figure out a way to trim down on the season because um boy uh, at least we got put out of our misery and we didn't have to sit through two more rounds of the revs you know going to cincinnati and getting demolished the revs weren't winning mls cup uh, i'm kind of glad that we were able to to end this mercifully because uh, it has been a, a complete disaster uh avis has disappointed first great looked uh looked great honestly uh then they gave up just gave up after the red sad to see the season uh come to an end um we did, uh, Vasa says, "Will the Revs ever win an MLS Cup in my lifetime? Whew, I don't know. I don't know how many hundreds of years you plan on living, uh, but uh, probably not." Uh, and then James says, uh, "That was a tough way to end the season and a rough way to enter my wedding weekend. How do I overcome this painful season and just celebrate my wedding?" I would say two words: open bar. Uh, that's what I would say. Uh, just just let the alcohol flow a little bit. Uh, that's always a sign to a good wedding. Uh, John says, can the Revs survive with this few fans? Clearly, the Carlos Bow era is drawing to a close. My eye counted about 8K last night. League's Cup even smaller. Prime seats were selling for $20. Even the Fort didn't show up. Uh, with little interest beyond New England, Youth Soccer Knights number one through six, can they survive? Worth pointing out, Brian Belolo said at his, his supporter summit that the Revs uh, have set a record for most season ticket memberships going into next year, and they had a low in terms of season cancellations. So the numbers for them are good. Uh, but yeah, it's tough getting fans there on a weeknight. There is not as much enthusiasm, I think, especially kind of towards the end of the season. Um, I, it, it didn't seem like there was a lot of momentum and a lot of strong fan support coming down the stretch. And I think a lot of that had to do with the condition of the revolution. Um, but in terms of can they survive, I, I think yes. And I think especially with the Apple TV deal, the revs are turning profits. So in terms of surviving, yes. Um, but it, it's interesting to hear that context from Brian below that the fan base is apparently growing. It certainly doesn't feel like that way, especially um, with uh, attendance like they, they had last night. Any thoughts, uh, Jamie? No, yeah, obviously I'm um, uh, coming from across the pond as such. I'm not as in the loop with all the, the attendance figures and whatnot, but no, it is interesting to see how, um, there is such a big stadium and there's this discussion about a soccer specific stadium whether that's on the way and I'm sure that would in some way help drive up the figures but no as you say the Apple TV deal will always be intriguing to see how that interlinks with the money that the clubs are making and what that does to affect the the bums and seats as such as to whether um, people are opting not to go to the games because it's even more readily available now on Apple TV, whereas previously, um, obviously not ne- not necessarily all games on TV. So yeah, it, is, it is interesting to see how that all works. But as I said, I can't can't pretend to be in any way an expert on the the trends of people attending the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill says, "Is there this is interesting? Uh, an interesting catch is there no rule requiring the keeper's kit sponsor to match the field player's kit sponsor for a match?" Uh, they're wisely wearing national brand Thomas in away games while continuing regional bakery bimbo at home. Uh, but Andre Blake was wearing a bimbo on his highlighter yellow kit. I didn't catch this. This is a good catch by Bill. Uh, I don't know if there's a rule, but I think there should be. And I think the punishment should be automatic forfeit. Uh, so that's my my unbiased opinion uh, in this one here. Uh, Jamie, anything to add about the uh, keeper snafu last night? No, I, I agree on both fronts. I didn't notice it, but no, I think that's... um. And that is, that is an awful thing to do. And yeah, they should be booted out of it straight away. And we should um, just get get through to the next round because that's that's what we deserve, clearly. Yeah, forfeit this game and the next game. I think that's a two-game forfeit. Um, oh, that, yeah, absolutely. Racist comments, three-game suspension. Wrong keeper jersey, two-game forfeit. I think that is completely fair, uh, and, uh, according to Major League Soccer logic. 
Uh, Charles says, after 28 years, it is now to Actually, before we get onto that, do you have any thoughts on that Kai Wagner apology? I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I know we're at an hour and a half. I thought Kai Wagner's apology, quote unquote, was so gutless and pathetic that he he did the, you know, I made an inexcusable comment, but Bobby Wood said something, you know, about, you know, whatever, my sister or whatever. And then I think it was absolutely gutless that members of the union organization leaked to the athletic that Bobby Wood started it or whatever that they're mad because Bobby Wood started it and Bobby Wood also should be suspended. And they leaked it at a time right before kickoff. They had 10 days between these two games. They could have leaked it any other time, but they intentionally did it for a PR spin as sour grapes before the game. That was gutless. It was cowardice. And I, I have no respect for the Philadelphia Union organization and the way they've handled this scenario. And if Bobby Wood, listen, if Bobby Wood said something that deserved a suspension, I assume they are going through the proper channels to get that investigated. But MLS investigated this incident and they didn't suspend Bobby Wood. I, I, since the investigation is over, I assume the Philadelphia Union are not just saying this as a um, you know, sour grapes in, in any sort of way. And I assume that there's a legitimate concern and I look forward to them coming out and continuing this push because there's no room uh, for racism. So if Bobby Wood said something racist or whatever they're claiming, I assume they are pushing forward this and they're not just dropping it uh, at the conclusion of this series uh, as, as a response of, over sour grapes of Kai Wagner because that's how it looks right now to me. And I think that's absolutely gutless and embarrassing. Anyway, sorry, Jamie, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, just... Yeah, just echo what you said. Gutless is a, a great word to describe it. If I remember at one point throughout the process, the union tweeted out saying, um, like, of course, there's no room for racism. They don't uh, accept any sort of hate speech or anything like that. And I thought, okay, maybe for once an organisation in the sport is going to be smart and going to be moral when it comes to addressing a, a human issue like this. But then obviously, yeah, as we've seen, it's quickly gone downhill and quickly spiraled out of control and again obviously we have no way of knowing what it was that Bobby Wood supposedly said to start ill but um, I'm sure there are there's smack talk as such going on regularly but um, if he has something bad said bad that still doesn't um, excuse the fact to yeah for, for racism to be your response it's very very poor behavior and as you said the the response and apology or so-called apology from Kai Wagner was very weak and sounded very PR trained and very just half-hearted and as if he doesn't mean it and that it doesn't mean a whole lot to anyone really. Mm -hmm. To my understanding, the investigation is concluded. So Philadelphia might as well just come out and say what he said, but to, to do this with the timing of it to anonymous sources to the athletic right before game time, right after uh, all of the media availability pregame uh, for both teams. Uh, you had 10 days to say something about this. The um, conclusion of the investigation was a day or so ago. To do this right before game time, to me, it's not lost on me that that looks like they are trying to do a PR spin right before the game, and then after the game, when the game has concluded, everyone has kind of, I don't want to say moved on, but it, it, it does not strike me well at all. So if, I, I do not, if Bobby Wood is in the wrong, I suspend him, you know, come out and say, you know, shame him for, for what he said. But the way this has been done strikes me as real sour grapes and a he started it situation um, to defend Kai Wagner, which I think is really poor. Um, and, and again, I, I, I hope they can if if Bobby Wood did something wrong, I assume they're going to continue their fight for justice. Sorry, side rant. Sorry, I went on too long here. I know I said I wasn't going to extend the podcast, but I had to get that out because that pissed me off. Uh, Charles, after 28 years, it is now time to see different ownership and regroup, rebuild from the ground up. Uh, He also says thank you for all you guys do. A lot of people, I think, are tired of this ownership group, uh, and and I will 
reiterate what I said. I think now is an offseason where we got to go all out on Carlos Hill's potential final, final year. Let's see, you know, let's see that ambition. Let's see who you're signing as a sporting director. Let's see who you're signing as a head coach. Let's see who you're bringing in as a new striker. Let's see, you know, how you're going to reinforce this team and go for it in 2024. Um, I think there is a lot of pressure on ownership and this front office to get it right. They have one shot to get it right uh, after the last two seasons. Um, any, any thoughts on that? Any criticism of ownership before we uh, move on here? I think, yeah, again, just uh, as usual, reiterating what you said, um, I think smart decisions need to be made in this off-season. And if there's anything the Revolution have done in the past few months and recently is they haven't made smart decisions. So I think both in terms of a player point of view and a front office point of view, there probably needs to be changed. And yeah, there needs to be a lot of thought put into these decisions because it is going to affect how, how the Revs move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Phil says, I'm so tired of supporting this club. It's no single person's fault. It's a dysfunctional system. I'm checking out. Phil, uh, make sure you are still subscribed to Revolution Recap, though. Even if you check out on the Revs, don't check out on Revolution Recap. Make sure you are still subscribed, getting getting those download numbers up for us, uh, and make sure you leave a uh, five-star review on iTunes and Spotify, if you don't mind. Uh, so, uh, But uh, I think a lot of people are feeling what Phil is feeling today. So uh, thank you for everyone who survived this with us. Uh, the end-of-season stuff is never fun, and we still have to go through um, you know, end-of-season stuff, and it's always a little bit longer uh jamie i I didn't really ask you this do you want to go through uh your predictions on options and contracts and i'll I'll list off who's uh got an option um and you can give me a quick yes or no answer let's just do predictions uh ima botang you think his option is extended yes or no yes uh andrew farrell has an option uh yes or no yes okay uh ian harks has a two-year option yes or no um, I haven't seen enough of him, so it'll probably be no. Mm, I, I actually, I, well, I disagree on Farrell because I think they're going to try to renegotiate with him his cap number. But I think we still see him with the Revs next year. I, I agree. I think Ian Harks is getting extended, but we'll see, we'll go from there. Uh, Bobby Wood, yes or no? Uh, from a personal point of view, I want to say yes. I do think he's still not as a starting striker, but he's a capable player. I, w- I would like to say yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas Shankly, I assume you're purchasing him. Hundred percent, yeah. Okay, uh, we don't know about Christian McCoon if he is an option or a free agent. I imagine we're both saying no to Christian McCoon. Yeah, again, just injuries and haven't seen enough of him, so I'd say no. Uh, you said yes to Jacob Jackson. I'm going to say no. Um, Joshua Bulma, yes or no? Um, yes. Okay, and then Ryan Spaulding. Ooh, that is tough. Um, I'm going to say yes just because of there's not a huge amount of depth in the fullbacks currently. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Damien Rivera? Mm, yes. Still think there's potential there. Uh, ben Sweat, Maciel, Renex, Ben Ravino. I assume those are all no's. Uh, they either have options or are free agents. Would you bring back any of those guys? Uh, no. All, okay. all no's, yeah. There have it. So as I say, Spalding, Rivera, uh, McCoon, we don't know exactly what if they have, are, are, are an option or a free agent, uh, but I, I think it's, uh, it's always just worth to throw out the hypothetical because teams can renegotiate. So uh, those are our thoughts on uh, what we're looking forward to. Those team announcements should be coming out soon. I wouldn't be surprised if it's out by Friday. Today is exit interview day. I think it normally comes out a day or two after that. So this is lining up perfectly for a Friday afternoon news up for the revolution. Uh, final thoughts. Jamie, you have anything else you want to leave our listeners with uh, before we depart here today? And also, where can people find your work? Um, so my Twitter at is RookieJNR13, and as Greg said, um, I have I covered the revs for Last Word on Soccer. Or I I should say I have because uh, um, this will 
this that was my actually last game last night covering them. So given this is the end of the season, I'll have a season review out and that will be the end of it. But um, I guess one thing to say would be thank you for anyone that's read my work and interacted with me and thank you to the likes of Greg and Sam and Tom and Seth for welcome, welcome, welcoming me in as a Brit trying to get involved in MLS. I've really appreciated it my three or so years. Oh, that's disappointing. Well, I, I'm I'm bummed to hear that. I, uh, you know, it, every year more and more people drop out. And Tanner Rebello and I talked about this a little bit off se- in the off season about uh, people uh, end up leaving. And by the way, um, I, I, we were going to bring Tanner on to announce this. I might as well announce this now. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, Tanner has not been on the show for a long time. He got a promotion at work, uh, so he's not able to continue with the podcast. He still plans on doing some Rhode Island FC coverage next year. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't want to do this in an unceremonious way. But while we're talking about it, uh, Tanner is another guy we the beat lost this year, which is really disappointing because uh, I really enjoyed his work uh, for the Trifecta Network uh, and his notebook. So every year we, we lose really really good writers, um, and it's really disappointing to see this uh, year in year out. But it's just a, a nature of the business. So I, well, geez, I don't know where to transition from there. I guess I, I do have a couple of notes. I do want to note. Uh, just want to give a shout out to the Bryant University Bulldogs. We'll be going to the America East final. Uh, against the University of New Hampshire, I believe it's this weekend. It might be next week, uh, but they are looking. They're, they're currently ranked too. Uh, so uh, go dogs! Uh, looking to see uh, them finish their season a little bit better than the Revolution. Also, want to give a shout out to the uh, New England Revolution amputee soccer team. Uh, the amputee soccer uh, United States setup kind of had a uh, cup uh, between their four regions uh, in Columbus, Ohio. I believe it was last weekend, uh, and New England won. Uh, so good for them. Uh, inaugural. Uh, amputee soccer cup champions uh, so i wanted to give them a shout out and also uh they've announced the first ever women's uh, amputee soccer world cup which is going to be held in 2024 uh, in colombia so uh, if you're not familiar with their organization i had a very good interview with nico calabria uh both uh, last year and early 2022 i recommend you going through our feed uh, and listening to that uh, and also we had an interview at the beginning of this year as well uh, so you don't have to scroll as far for that one uh, but just uh familiar yourself familiarize yourself uh, with the amputee soccer uh organization uh, and I, I highly recommend, uh, if you can, uh, donating to their organization because they'll be doing their fundraising soon for that. So uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Follow us at Revolution Recap. Also, make sure you follow us on Instagram, Threads, and Facebook. Be sure to follow our friends at The Blazing Musket on Twitter, at Blazing Musket, and subscribe to their Substack to receive every piece of news in their off, uh, for the offseason uh, to your email inbox. Uh, they're one of the few organizations uh, that covers the team uh, throughout the offseason year-round. Uh, so it really costs you nothing for a free subscription, but uh, if you are able, uh, you can also... Uh, uh, sign up for a paid subscription, uh, which goes a very, very long way in supporting local soccer coverage. Also, be sure to follow our friends at The Rebellion, at Rebellion on Twitter, and go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them. And also, thank you to our presenting sponsor, Bet Online. Be sure you use pro- to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. I also want to give a shout-out uh, to everyone who covered the team this year. Uh, we couldn't get everyone on the show uh, that we wanted to, but... Uh, and I, I really appreciate the people that are there week in and week out uh, getting quotes uh, for us to talk about on this show. So I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, all of them before we wrapped up here today. Uh, make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And if you could, please rate and review us five stars. It helps people looking for Revolution content find us. Uh, we will be back following, I assume, roster decisions. We'll break down what the roster looks like uh, in more detail. Uh, until then, thank you, everyone, for listening and go Revs.